Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. The cool thing about doing a show is I get to interview personal heroes, and here's what makes today's guest one for me. And the story starts with Marilyn Bartlett, another hero, who was the first at this game of rethinking state health benefits and bucked all the odds and turned the state of Montana health benefit from a $9 million a year loser to over $120 million in the black using the strategies we talk about on the show. But even more important, Marilyn had a fiduciary responsibility to do this. She wasn't doing it out of the love of stepping into the oven, the fire, but she did it out of a fiduciary responsibility. So... When the state and its employees and retirees win, the bigs of Montana perceived they weren't winning because the margins on 30,000 hospital patients shrunk overnight. And the big hospitals use every power tool in their tool belt to stop a move, what was and is today fair pricing. They were making less margins, but they were still making margins. They were making a profit. It just wasn't as plump and juicy. It was a raisin, not a grape. And I asked Marilyn, would she please let me write a book with her to inspire other state benefit leaders? And she said, Ron, it's too painful to relive. No way, Jose. Why? Well, she cooked in a stew from on top and from the side and from below. It was like a microwave more than a cooking. And she suffered social shunning from old friends and from the respected leadership in each of the communities that make up Montana that are tied to the bigs. She was demonized. She would prevailed, however, and she shepherded it through because she had a solid fiber, moral core. I probably didn't say that right, but she's basically a good egg in doing the right thing. And she believes in her just cause. And she said to me, what are they going to do an old lady? Take away my Medicare? So she was the first to really step into the heat of state benefit transformation. Now let's flash forward to another state benefits leader who will go under named and you'll see why in a second. This person was following Maryland's Montana playbook amidst a fierce headwind that the bigs created. The bigs literally lied in a relentless TV and radio ad campaign about all the jobs lost and all the calamitous collapse of the hospital systems. And it was all made up. It was all lies. And the governor and lieutenant governor, who at first were with this person, caved. And rather than do the right thing by the voter, rather than do the right thing for hundreds of thousands of state and school employees, two cowardly leaders threw the person under the bus and didn't support this fair pricing. The Montana Miracle. They didn't do DPC. They didn't do direct contract. They did very little, but they're bragging about that they did something. But the cowards found their quarter instead of winning for the employees and for the taxpayer, they found a win in another election. Let's shift the camera now and pan to another state just a few years ago. Chris Deacon is now the benefits leader of New Jersey with a hell of a track record managing big projects, not only as deputy AG, but as the assistant counsel to the governor. And she's deputized to give it a shot at trying the Montana playbook for New Jersey benefits betterment 
but even better, it's way bigger because it's 25 times the number of employees as Montana, over 800,000. And so her team hires a few DPC firms like Everside, a friend of the show, and DPC others who have scaled. And she conducts this cool thing called a reverse auction for the pharma formulary, meaning that the bidders bid down, 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 down the drug pricing until the lowest bid, the lowest PBM wins the state business. So it's the opposite exactly of the auction that you and I know. So that's how our reverse auctions work. She wisely didn't poke a few of those bears, those hornet's nests, but they knew now that this is a force of nature, this Chris Deacon. And brilliant strategy, right? Don't go after the hospitals, but go after the low-hanging fruit that is available. Boom, 1.5 billion saved over the projected amount to be spent in the healthcare benefit just by going for a couple of low-hanging fruit and not so low-hanging, there's a lot of pressure and pain there in this story, but the underfunded pension liabilities were heavily funded that year, which is a breath of spring air after decades of neglect and believe this, that's a huge problem, these underfunded pension liabilities, because it's a can that's continued kickback that states, the cities, and the feds downstream for decades. The states alone have $6 trillion in unfunded pension liabilities, $6 trillion. There's $162 trillion in federal underfunded pension liabilities. We think of Medicare and Medicaid going broke. Medicare is supposed to go broke in 2026. That's a perfect example. They're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. And I even looked at Chicago just as a city example. The current fire, police, and labor, the city-funded amounts for their pensions today are 20 to 40%. Said a little more clear, 60 to 80% of their pensions go unfunded in Chicago. And that's not an unusual city. This accepted model we'll call living on a prayer. Okay, so let's pan the camera in this movie back to 1.5 billion in savings, Chris Deacon, our heroine. And the teachers are given a premium holiday for one month. Also, we call that a raise, something they haven't seen in a long time. Better than inflation. So bucking the bigs comes at a great personal cost to Marilyn Bartlett and to a state benefits leader who will go unnamed, who was thrown under the bus by a cowardly governor interested in career over his state, over his taxpayers. Because the cost of bucking the bigs can be your governorship, your lieutenant governorship. That's the price of doing right. It can be your job if you're the alpha leading the pack on this game. So today's guest is a hero because Chris knew what she was up against, walking a tightrope between these labor unions and the bigs, their amazing lobbies, and the pressure from every possible direction in society. And she did the right thing anyway. She took the heat. She bested the bigs up to a point, maybe not the big hospitals, because that would be not a wise strategy year one or two. But that's maybe a too much heat, but she got the DPC and the meds in and some other benefits that saved a billion five. That's a hero. That's a heroine. And no state, to my knowledge, has saved $1.5 billion on benefits in any single year. So maybe she'll be the Maryland Bartlett for that next state benefits coordinator that's in charge and give them courage. Let's find out. Chris Deacon, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Ron. I hope I didn't overstate your heroism or understate it. <laughs> you know, well, we'll let the audience be the judge of that. But I did just, uh, I think maybe I fall in line more with Marilyn, just in terms of career trajectory and moral compass, you know, for your listeners out there. I actually ended my tenure with the state in September over some of those headwinds that I think um, some of 
hopefully your listeners and actually I, I I'm hoping business leaders and American taxpayers in general, and certainly New Jersey taxpayers will be able to read about um, someday. I soon. hope somebody's doing a book about this. I read one of your people in your position with a police union, or maybe it wasn't with the mm -hmm. state. He kind of voiced some of his pressures that he's facing and it's mostly internal. He can't get reports he needs that he has to file. He can't get data he needs to get his hands on to do his job. Right. So you're getting pressure, not just from headwinds exterior, but from interior as well. What is that all about? So I think, and, and I know the individual who you're talking about, and it certainly um, has become very difficult to get information and data in this particular union um, member sits on the plan design committee, which is a statutory body that is charged with plan design for the state um, is a joint management labor committee. And, you know, I think it's very you know, clear that without good data and without good information, it's very difficult to make good decisions. So I, I, I do hope, um, I'm hopeful, but not optimistic that that body will get um, the information it needs to continue to do smart things to keep costs in check. But yeah, I mean, the yes, hospitals are big and powerful. And yes, the big bucas are big and powerful. And yes, the PBMs are big and powerful. But that power is also exerted internally as a result of the political process. And I know you alluded to a state health plan where there was capitulation by an administration to those political powers. Um, and I'll leave it at this, New Jersey is no different. Um, there was, you know, when you have close to a $9 billion all in medical spend and RX spend over a population, there is a tremendous um, interest in not going beyond, you know, 1.5 billion is beyond tinkering around the edges, but there's a lot more work to be done there. And there's a lot more work that can be done there. And I'm hopeful that with some of our allies on the labor side and, you know, continuing the work, um, you know, those that are still in the administration that are looking for accountability and transparency will receive that. Um, hopeful, not necessarily optimistic that it's going to be a, um, an organic uh, evolution. You know, Chris, we have 100 million of 153 million employees that are with self-funded employers today. They don't face really any of those headwinds unless they serve on the hospital board themselves, I guess. But mm -hmm. for the most part, the corporate America has woken up that they have completely no incentives that are lined up with the bigs out there that you just named, that they have to go their own path. And 30 million of those 100 million self-funded have gone into direct primary care, just as the state of New Jersey has. So mm -hmm. if you could be queen for a day and you had complete political cover and job security at New Jersey, how much waste is built into $9 billion? I think you could very conservatively take a third out. How about less conservatively with a little more gusto and <laughs> pizzazz? <laughs> 40 to 50%. Okay. You said that pretty quick. That's an easy thing. So yeah. four and a half billion going towards pension funding, pension liabilities, how much is underfunded by the state pension every year? Yeah. Well, um, prior to COVID, the state had, um, was on a path to make full pension contribution within, I don't know, a couple decades, but um, 
I, the, it's underfunded to the tune of about 40%, you know, it's about 40% funded. And just for context for your listeners, if you're not from the pension space, if this was a private, you know, pension defined pension um, plan for like a private employer, the uh, pension benefit guarantee corp, it comes in if you're under like 90% and takes over because you're essentially, you know, underfunded. In public sector land, to be 90% funded is almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you're looking at this, but we are, we were the second worst funded at, um, you know, 40% and under for most of the funds. Um, but I mean, the, then COVID happens, countries flush with cash, COVID dollars flowing and pumping into the state of New Jersey. And uh, the decision is made to borrow billions and a full pension payment is finally made. One could, you know, basically, you know, you're saying, okay, um, I can pay down some debt so I can pay it in a, you know, with a cheaper dollar. Okay. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the truth remains that we have a systemic fiscal issue in the state of New Jersey. And, and really, I mean, you know, we're not alone in that. If you had four or 5 billion that you could, and you're not there anymore, but if, mm-hmm. if four to 5 billion could be wrung out of that state, how soon would the underfunded pension liability be solved instead of 20 years? Would it be less? So not an actuary, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you're looking at less. And I, I think, you know, whether it's putting that towards pension, lowering your pension borrowing costs or in a rainy day fund, um, because listen, like I think I, right before I hopped on, um, the stock market is down over 1200 points today. Wow. Like the ride that we've been having we knew it was never going to last. Um, and, and I'm not saying I'm not making predictions on recession, whatever. I'm just saying that like, we know that the gains um, of the last few years that have buoyed the, the system um, substantially and the, the cash that's come out of the federal government, it, it's not, it, the gravy train's going to end. Yeah. And um, we, we should have been preparing for that by, treating our budget like we would if we were, you know, a household and not spending more than we make. I had a friend at uh, Shell Oil who was their CFO and retired. And he said what he would tell the board is, what do you want me to show the pension growth rate at 4.5 or 6.5? Because I can (laughs) play all kinds of dances and numbers if you let me have 6.5. And so that's what you're saying by gaming the system. You can, as an actuary, pretend you're going to get 6.5 when nobody has gotten that over 20 years. And that's how you game the, the underfunded yeah. numbers. Yeah, there's a hundred ways to do it. You're doing something new now and have been for a while. And what is your new, um, I don't want to say windmill to tilt at, that's not appropriate. Yeah. What is your new charge? Like what's, what, yeah, what is getting you excited in the morning now? What's new? You know, I, I do wake up very excited to tackle my day because my day is now full of you know, working with people that share a similar passion and wanting to transform the healthcare system, either from within or, you know, in any direction. So I've started a consulting firm, uh, Versan Consulting, and the name Versan uh, is derived from the Latin roots of ver for truth and san health. So truth and health, because when, you know, the, you know, my sort of tagline is, right, is when 
you talk to me about your healthcare strategy and whether that's your health plan or your healthcare solution that you want to um, bring to the table, or if you're a business group or a CFO, I will tell you the truth, um, as hard as it may be to hear, because I think one of the problems that we as an industry suffer from in this healthcare industrial complex that we've built is that we don't want to upset um, you know, legacy or status quo institutions. Like we don't want to anger the hospitals. We don't want to poke the bear of the bukas. We don't want to, you know, um, and, and some of us do, but I'm saying in general, like whether it be a politician or a large employer, um, we've come to this place of spending 20% of our GDP um, for health outcomes that are by and large declining, certainly not improving. And, um, you know, when you compare us to other OECD countries, we are failing, right? We're not getting anything for our money. We're certainly not getting what we're paying for. And coming out of that is going to require discomfort, uncomfortable conversations, difficult conversation. It's conversations. There will be winners and there will be losers, right? That pie has to get smaller. It doesn't, um, not everybody's going to be quote unquote kept whole. Um, and I think that, um, again, so going back to sort of what I'm doing is working with strategic large employers and Taft-Hartley groups that are ready to take that journey in terms of pr better primary care, taking on hospital prices and managing pharmacy spend. And then also working with healthcare organizations and business organizations and legal organizations that are aligned in their interests with lowering the total cost of care and improving health outcomes. I mean, those two are tied, right? I think the show is going to be changing directions a little bit by featuring your success stories and those of others like you. We have on this show, our guests will have heard Tom Gentile, who's the CEO of Spirit Aerosystems, which is a 7 billion, 14 thousand employee company in five cities in America and five countries outside of America. He went in CEO magazine in January and told his story. He's saving lots of money, finding lots of money to drop to his bottom line by using the strategies you did use, you want to use, and you will be using with your clients. So the more of these stories I think we get out there, the more courage, I call them jumbo employers, will have mm -hmm. because they see they're not in the water alone. There's The water's actually safe. Mm -hmm. Do you find that they are wanting something bad, but they're afraid to step into this? Yeah. I mean, I think that there certainly is, um, we're having a moment where it's, you know, I think we've kept, we kept saying that's unsustainable, but we've sustained it. Right. So it's, it's sustainable, but at what cost? Mm -hmm. And, and it's starting to cost, we're looking at the labor shortage and the, you know, it's, it's costing employers and whether that's, um, competitively or it's costing their employees wages, what we're having a moment. And yes, I think there, there's an appetite to see what's out there. Um, but by and large, some of the folks that are in the seats making these decisions have come up in a, a culture and a work environment that is inherently risk averse. And it's all about risk aversion and whether, you know, in that HR community. So I think I, I, I was actually talking to Marilyn um, Bartlett the other day, and we we're sort of having a very passionate conversation about what needs to change. And I said, 
I think it's great that we're telling stories of, of HR leaders and CFOs that have successfully done these things. But what I want to see is a day and age when doing the right thing and truly fulfilling your fiduciary obligation to purchase health care for your employees prudently, um, you know, only paying reasonable fees and acting in the plan's best interest, where that doesn't land you on like a panel of a business group on health, it, because it should be the expectation. Yes. It shouldn't make you a rock star to do the right thing and to do the smart thing. I want to hear what you think the gaps are. Chris, I, the gaps I said, direct primary care, easy to scale across 50 states with one or two companies. Surgery, easy to scale with one or two phone calls with people that have already checked the quality and the infection and the readmission rate. So you've got centers of excellence that aren't the big name hospitals. That's an easy add-on. It's easy to find a TPA who can claim adjudicate, who can find the patient assistance. It's not hard to find somebody who can do, you know, get cash prices with labs and imaging. Those are easy phone calls. The hard thing right now is the specialists, the finding the specialists who are either affiliated with hospitals or not affiliated and get a cash price. There doesn't seem to be an ecosystem to put them all under one phone number, one email, one phone call. Mm -hmm. And is that, is that what we're missing in the ecosystem is it's not quite cooked yet. So I, I think utilization of the word ecosystem is pretty generous. We have a lot of sort of stars out there, but we haven't yet connected the dots to make a really coherent constellation. Yes. Right. We haven't connected, and I'm talking data here. I'm talking the movement of data. I'm talking the sharing of data uh, in okay. a standardized way that that ecosystem actually exists, right? Ecosystem implies that, you know, this plant um, might eat that plant, which then feeds that plant or animal. You know, it's an ecosystem that they all depend upon each other and work together. And right now we have disparate, um, I'll call point solutions, even though I, I don't like that word to describe primary care, I think. Silos, you got a lot of silos. But you have a lot of silos. And okay. so if you're talking about an employer that might be able to pick up the phone and connect with a DPC across a national network, and then also pick up the phone and connect with a centers of excellence approach. Yeah, that's true. But what I need to do is be able to pick up the phone and, you know, talk with a, a partner or, or even the DPC or prim, advanced primary care, be that hub that they know how to not only get all of their members to that centers of excellence and to the right specialists, but they know which specialists are, you know, have good prescribing patterns versus always defaulting to Humira, which, um, you know, and then there's also a closed loop system. So if that member that was referred by the DPC to the specialist has not closed a gap in care, the DPC knows about it and can then reach out because they're the trusted source. Well, you know, you're almost talking about, is it the TPA or the DPC, the third party administrator, the direct primary care doc, or the leader of DPC that's going to make, because when I call my card, I'm going to call a phone number and they're going to say, yes, you can get Humira. Yes, you can go to that center of excellence. It seems like the TPA is the one that's going to steer is because that's what you're talking about is steering them in the right direction to write the right drug, the right center, the right, whatever. Right. Isn't that the TPA's job to steer? So I think what I'm talking about is like a zero to one moment, right? If you look at the statistics on 
you know, I think there's a recent study uh, by some either a PBGH or some, um, maybe it's the Kaiser Family Foundation about who patients trust, who do our healthcare consumers trust? Mm -hmm. 85% trust their primary care doctor. Yeah. And their nurses, yes. And their nurses. They do not trust uh, anywhere near 85%, and we're talking well below 50 anything that looks like an insurance carrier, mm -hmm. or even sometimes, you know, the idea of navigation and advocacy. Yeah. You and I know what that means, but members don't, <laughs> um, yeah. and it, unless their employer has done a bang up job of engagement, in which case they're probably still only getting to like 35, 40%. Mm -hmm. They trust their doctor. So, you know, I'm looking at future state where we have, it's all, it's all, it's a future state, but it's also hearkening back to a day where the doctor patient relationship was what it was all about. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, I, and I hope that's where we get. Yeah. Yeah. The sacred trust, bringing the sacred trust back. Well, so that now we're putting the burden if, and it's a good burden on primary care, as opposed to a indivisible bureaucrat at a third-party administrator who's going to make sure they go in the right direction. But that, so you're saying the data is not connecting, the DPC doesn't have all the information they need for each jumbo employer. Well, not only, not only do they not have the data, right? Because the jumbo employers are probably using a buka. and trust me, I've been there. I've, I've had the firsthand experience of telling a Blue Cross Blue Shield organization this is my DPC vendor, give them the data they need to be successful. And Good then luck. still throwing up red flags or, you know, uh, barriers at every step to, to, um, to prevent that from happening because it disrupts their business model. Well, what you're saying is we really don't have a $4 trillion healthcare economy. We have a two and a half trillion or 2 trillion economy with a bunch of fat built in people that aren't cooperating. They're preserving their business interests, and why wouldn't they? They have shareholders too, right? Yeah. And and I would, um, I've done a lot of I've research and you know looking back on the history of the, in particular, the blues organizations. And one of the reasons that I, and you can tell from my LinkedIn posts, I find some of the um, behaviors so troubling is that. They were, you know, if you look at the history and how they were formed as a true community organization to make healthcare more affordable, um, we have to sort of shake this notion that that that, ex that exists today. They are, by and large, whether they're, uh, you know, a nonprofit mutual hospital association or uh, Anthem and they're for profit, like they have shareholders they're answering to as well. So employers have to wake up and just know the rules of the game that they're playing in yeah. and, and look out for their own bottom line. But I, I think, you know, you asked where I would put that $4 billion and would it be back into the pension system? Yes, some of it. But I also think primary care is short-term, you know, short-term invest or long-term investment right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I would repurpose some of those dollars to build out the infrastructure to make advanced primary care and tech advanced primary care central to that healthcare system that we want to imagine in the future. And we have to start building it today. Well, it's going to have to be divorced from the bigs who are volume incentive and as opposed to employers who are the opposite. The one party wants heads and beds and more meds and more volume to make their ALR numbers. And the other one is completely 
the opposite incentive. They don't have the best interest of the hospitals or the pharma or what's called big insurers. They don't have their, they're not aligned even a little bit. There's no overlap. No, and the sooner we sort of, at we, you know, corporate America, those those of us paying for healthcare, whether it's public sector, big corporations, et cetera, the sooner we wake up and realize that and acknowledge it head on, at least we come to the table on equal footing and sort of um, demand more power in terms of information, lessening information asymmetry, and at least going toe to toe and trying to protect, you know, the employer's interests and the payer's interests, payer being the employer. If there was somebody to write a tell all and say, I worked at Anthem and here's what we do at the end of the quarter to make our numbers uh, with pre-authorizations and denials and yeah, that wouldn't make a difference. So you'd, you'd need somebody from pharma to do the same on the same day. You need somebody from the big devices on the same day. You, there's so many insider games that are being played to push volume over value that one tell-all book doesn't tell the story. You need, you know, six bigs internally coming out in the same time in the same book to tell what's going on. Well, Ron, I mean, I, I would... I would even go so far as to say that book could be written by the six bigs. I, it almost has been. I mean, one of my favorite pastimes, as you know, is posting yeah. Office of Inspector General reports that basically says, you know, the American taxpayer with the federal employee health plan is being systemically stolen from. Yeah. We're paying lobbying fees. We're paying advertising fees and brand management for these big organizations. And they get caught every year, right? And we do nothing. And these no are criminal, no civil fines, no settlements, no, no the hospitals. Action. The hospitals are flouting transparency, right? And yeah. and we kind of shrug and say, wow, healthcare is really expensive. It's going to be really hard work. And I, you know, I, I think that, that, that there are a number of things that have to happen to get those dominoes falling. And I think they're starting to happen, but it takes a lot of energy and a lot of intestinal fortitude, um, you know, by people like you, you know, spreading the word and, um, you know, and our allies um, in this movement. Yes. I love, I love that as a, a kind of a finishing thought, even though we have a lot more to talk about. Chris, what is a perfect day for you? If you had to say, like today, I got to talk to six jumbos and I got to out six states and I got, what does a great day for you look like when you're just like humming like a sailboat? Oh, you know, I would say that that day would be spent both talking to one of, you know, my large employer clients or union groups and helping them strategize on some of the topics we've talked about. And, and actually putting a strategic plan in place, you know, not just talking, but this, these are the action steps and this is the date by which we're gonna do this. I would say my perfect day as well, I'm, I, um, it, would, it would be a third of that, a third public speaking. I really enjoy talking to people, it energizes me. I feel like I'm spreading a message that needs to be spread. Mm -hmm. And then the other third would be spent writing mm -hmm. because I, um, I love writing. I love the exercise of writing. I think it forces us to, to think deeper and, and answer tough questions. So that would be my perfect day to be capped off by uh, some time with my kids. Nice. A little time with your kids. A long day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to have you on for another show. I want to talk on another show about the perfect plan. Like if you could 
get a jumbo to divorce themselves of a buka and, and go with plan a what does the run plan look like what does the walk plan look like what does the crawl yeah. plan look like so you can devolve away from this addiction we have on the on the bigs but that's another talk for another day and it's a big one yeah chris how do people find you if they want to reach out um, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. Um, also at cdeacon at versanconsulting.com. Um, and I do have a new, um, very simple website that's up um, that just has, you know, some of my writings that, um, you know, cross over on LinkedIn as well. Okay, let's repeat that. cdeacon at versan.com. Versanconsulting.com. Okay, got it. Okay. Well, I'm so excited for you on this new journey. I'm sure a lot of people are going to benefit. We're all in this fight together. If you could fly a banner overhead to give a message, you knew I was going to ask this. What would you say on that banner? Mm, take back healthcare. <laughs> it's a good one. Chris, thanks for a, yet another amazing show. I can't thanks, wait Ron. to uh, catch up with you later. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.